Blessed is the kingdom of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Our sermon text is the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the word of the Lord. Today we are presented with a miracle text, yet the miracle itself, the healing of the daughter, takes a back seat. Instead, the spotlight is placed on the dialogue between Jesus and this Canaanite woman. Now, I found this text to be interesting for a few reasons. One, the great faith, or in the Greek, the mega faith of this Canaanite woman is on full display. She comes to our Lord with the right object of faith and the right posture. Two, the way in which Jesus responds to her is also interesting, and not in the usual way that we'd expect. And lastly, and this is an apologetic point, Critics of the Bible point to this text as being a contradiction in Jesus' words, and so we'll look at all three points, all three of these points this morning, but let's get into the text itself. Verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are both important cities throughout the Old and New Testaments. Tyre was a large Phoenician port city, while Sidon was mentioned in Joshua as being a great city, Uh, which lie roughly 20 miles north of Tyre. Both cities were ancient and well-developed by the time of Jesus, but they're also located in the middle of Gentile country. More importantly, Tyre and Sidon are the cities of Jezebel and the place where Baal worship originated. The people who lived there were Canaanites, and being Canaanite was regarded as being worse than being a Gentile because the Canaanite people were cursed by God, so they were one, Gentile, two, pagan idolaters, and three, Canaanites. Jesus withdrew to this region to let the dust settle after a recent encounter with the Pharisees. Jesus withdrawing into another territory after these encounters with the Jews happens often in the Gospels. It doesn't mean that he's running away from danger, but it does mean that his time has not yet come. And usually there's another purpose for which he leaves. In John chapter 4, Jesus leaves Judea because of the Pharisees and meets the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, and here in Matthew 15, he meets the Canaanite woman. Verse 22, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Here we meet this Canaanite woman. Mark's gospel refers to her as a Syrophoenician. Well, what does that mean? Under Roman occupation, Syria and Phoenicia were annexed into one district, thus the Syrophoenicians. It's interesting because it adds a whole other element that's working against her. She's one, a Gentile, two, a Canaanite, and now three, she's a Roman. Not only were the Canaanites pagan idolaters, but as someone living under a Roman-dominated culture, she likely would have been influenced by the Roman cults as well. So, she's certainly someone who no self-respecting Jew would allow in his presence, 
much less to speak with him, and here she throws herself before Jesus and his disciples. What is perhaps more significant are the titles that she calls Jesus. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. We just sang these words earlier in the service. Here this woman comes before Jesus with the right posture, a posture of seeking mercy. We cannot justify ourselves before God. Instead, we are merely beggars with outstretched hands hoping for a crumb of mercy. If you remember the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, the smug Pharisee believed that he needed no forgiveness. But what did the publican say? Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This Canaanite woman has the right posture. But her faith also has the right object. Faith needs an object, and we're quick to make that object anything but God. Therefore, the first commandment is so easily broken. Idolatry is placing your trust in something other than God. Do you elevate money or your job above God? Her faith has the right object. Not only does she call Jesus Kyrios, Lord, but she calls him the Son of David. Now that's remarkable. Six times in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus referred to by the title Son of David. Second Samuel chapter 7 prophesies that an offspring of David will establish a house for Yahweh, and Yahweh will establish an eternal throne and kingdom for him. Jesus is the greater son of David, so this title is a messianic title that reveals the identity of Jesus. This text does not say how the Canaanite woman came to know who Jesus is, but the point is she knows him to be Israel's Messiah. So in her desperation, she sees Jesus and his disciples, and she cries out, Help me, Lord, my child is oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Mark's account of this event fills in a few blanks for us. Mark says that Jesus wanted to be hidden, so the disciples' response here isn't all that shocking. In fact, it's a very human response. After all, she was bothering them and calling attention to them by her crying out, so the disciples are essentially saying, just do what she wants, Jesus. Heal her kids so she leaves us alone. Verse 24, Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What a puzzling response. This verse is where critics say that there is a contradiction in the words of Jesus. Here, Jesus says that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but in Matthew 28, he says to teach and baptize all nations. I was recently watching a debate between Dr. James White and a Muslim imam, and the imam kept coming back to this text and, says that, and said that Jesus is contradicting himself. He couldn't have only come for Israel while at the same time giving the Great Commission, so which is it? I'd point out that if St. Matthew saw no contradiction here, then neither should we, but a very important event happened between Matthew 15 and Matthew 28. That's the cross. So when Jesus says, I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, it means that God's plan of redemption is worked out through the people of Israel and nowhere else. Once the cross had been accomplished, then this gospel would be carried into all nations. Remember the conversion of the Gentiles in Acts chapter 2. Even though Jesus shows mercy on numerous Gentiles in the gospel, he's still the Messiah of Israel. Jesus is saying to the woman and to his disciples that it's not time for the Gentiles, and that he's here not merely to be a wandering miracle worker, but for the election of Israel and for the establishing of a new covenant. 
It is true that this woman is indeed a lost sheep who is des- who is in desperate need of Christ, but she is not of the house of Israel to whom Christ was first sent. Verse 25, But she came and knelt down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If Jesus' first answer was discouraging, then this answer is even less encouraging than the first. First, Jesus doesn't initially respond to her. And second, Jesus tells her that he's here only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And now he says, It's not right to take what belongs to them, Israel and the disciples, and throw it to the dogs. At this point, we would expect the Canaanite woman to go away disappointed. After all, Jesus essentially just called her a dog, but that's that's not what she does here. Verse 27, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's saying, I agree, Lord, it's true, you're Israel's Messiah, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table, and Lord, the crumbs of your mercy are good enough for me. Verse 28, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There is only one other place in Matthew where Jesus marveled at such great faith. Was it a Jew? A disciple? No. It was a Roman soldier, a Gentile. And so here we get a taste of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. Why does Jesus take so long to answer this woman's plea? Why did he refuse to speak with her at first and then give her two disheartening answers? This poor woman is already lamenting over her child. Why cut her off from hope? It is rather discouraging when it seems that God does not answer our prayers or when uh, God doesn't answer them in the way that we'd hope. If silence is scary, then the silence of a sovereign God is even more frightening. It sometimes seems as if God is indifferent to our struggles or worse, that he's not even paying attention. We pray and pray and no answer seems to come, so we sink deeper into despair until we're tempted to just give up on prayer altogether. Luther often talks about the Christian life as Anfechtung. This multifaceted concept doesn't really translate well into English, but it essentially means trial or tribulation. We know that death, sin, and the devil have been defeated on the cross, but on this side of heaven it often appears as if they've had a victorious resurrection. Christians are daily assaulted by the fiery arrows of the evil foe and this wicked world. These trials and tribulations should cause us to run to the feet of Jesus and cry, Lord, have mercy on me. But sometimes it feels as if God were our enemy. Truly, he is the enemy of your sinfulness and everything that brings you harm, and yes, He does cause trials and tribulations to come upon you, but not to drive you away from him. It's to drive you to him and to his word and promises. The mercy of God is not always immediately evident, and prayer is not meant to be a once-and-done event. We are to be persistent in prayer because faith does not shrink from continued prayer. Martin Luther said, If I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Paul says in Romans 8 that you, as baptized Christians, should receive the spirit of adoption uh, as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Prayer is to the Christian what breath is to life. This text before us today is a good reminder to resist the temptation to think that our prayer falls on deaf ears because it certainly does not. Even if God doesn't immediately answer prayer, Jesus hears us, and and in his own good time, he will give an answer. 
Puritan commentator Matthew Henry wrote that this text reminds us that the heart of Christ is full of abundant mercies even if there is a frown on his face. The crumbs of mercy that fall from the master's table are enough. Christ comes to give mercy and to give it in abundance to his people, and though we aren't deserving of a single crumb, he puts us in a place of honor at his feast. That's called grace. The faith of the Canaanite woman did not falter under this trial. Despite her despair, her faith remained fixated on Jesus, confident that he could and would answer her prayer, and that even the smallest crumb would be enough for her. She remained persistent in her prayer, persistent in her cry for mercy. Her prayer is the prayer of the church. Together with her we cry out, Lord, have mercy. Together we confess the compassion of God manifested in the person and work of his only begotten Son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, have mercy every Sunday, not because we think that God is like a magic eight ball. If we shake him enough, we'll finally get the answer we want. Persistent prayer doesn't mean pestering or strong-arming God to answer. We pray because of what Jesus has already done and because he keeps his word. While we pray and wait on the Lord to answer our prayers, we can rest confidently in his word of promise and in his supper. You know for certain, without a doubt, that God has not forgotten you, because he has claimed you as his own in baptism. He feeds you with his word, and he welcomes you, not merely to eat the crumbs, but to sit down at the feast. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.